Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. One of the most enjoyable parts of doing this podcast is that we've gotten the opportunity here at Cracked Rackets to talk to so many different people from throughout the tennis world, whether it's players, coaches, fans, members of the media, whatever it may be. Uh, We want to try and provide the full picture for you guys, get as many perspectives for you fans to listen to so that you feel not only more engaged, but just you feel more informed uh, as a tennis fan. And so that is why I am so thrilled to bring on tonight's guest. Fans of uh, the American tennis scene, of the juniors in particular, will know well uh, of his Junior Tennis Champion Center. But for our guest tonight, the form, or the UT Martin Hall of Famer, excuse me, was a former four-time NCAA D2 All-American, a D2 National Doubles Champion, and the 1990 Tennis Player of the Year. He was the 2011 USOC National Developmental Coach of the Year and currently serves as President and Senior Director of Tennis at the Junior Tennis Champion Center, Vesa Punka. Welcome to the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I hope I didn't butcher your last name too poorly. Thank you, Alex, and, and you did pretty well. And, <laughs> uh, you know, we will see you know, if you can do it a little bit better in about half an hour. Oh, I imagine going from Finland to uh, Tennessee that my butchering of it was not nearly as bad as what you must have exactly, heard back then. Exactly. <laughs> well, Coach, let me just say it is our pleasure uh, to have you on this podcast. And uh, for all of those out there who haven't heard of the Junior Tennis Champion Center, one of the premier uh, training centers in the country, can you talk a little bit about that Junior Tennis Champion Center and you know what you guys are trying to do for American tennis? Um. It's very simple. Um, we try to have a, every day to be a good training day. And, and we started it uh, 20 years ago. And the whole idea was to provide um, simple, effective, and hopefully productive um, way to, to coach young tennis players. And um, no tricks, no gimmicks, just um, teaching the young players to work hard and dream big and, and, and then just... Uh, create a growth mindset and and that's what we try to do and I think your alum base speaks for uh, the success you guys have had the obvious ones of late the Francis Tiafos, Robin uh, Montgomery's of the world of course Dennis Kudla Vera Zvonareva for me personally as a big college tennis fan Mitchell Frank Luca Corintelli all junior tennis champion center products and one of the big things I do want to talk about early on and I want to get into your coaching perspective because I know you must have seen some incredible talents filter through over these past 20 years but one of the most notable things about the JTCC is it's a nonprofit organization. You guys are about more than just developing, you know, champion tennis players and people who have pro aspirations. Uh, it's about developing well-rounded athletes. And can you, can you sort of talk about those nonprofit efforts and just what the JTCC does beyond developing, you know, extraordinary talents, but just using tennis as a mechanism for young, uh, young student athletes? Uh, you are right. Uh, our model is quite unique. Um, early on, we decided that we want to create uh, not only great tennis players, but uh, champions, o- champions off the court also. That means that, uh, that uh, you know, the kids will learn the value of the hard work, they will have a good manners, and, and they learn how to compete on and off the tennis court. Uh, we, all our players, they have to do community service. They have to, we are trying to create this give back mentality. Um, as we all know, tennis players, you, we are trained to be fairly selfish people and, and, and tennis coaches might be the second most selfish group of people. So we have to change the mindsets. 
And in our place, uh, you know, we have a mentoring system that the older players have to give back to the younger players. And, and uh, you know, we, we try to be true to that one on, on daily basis. So it's a little bit unique situation. About 80% of our players are all local players. Uh, we have our own talent shirts. And we are very proud of the fact that they stay hopefully with us for 10 plus years. Yeah, and for your players uh, in particular, again, I think the success speaks for itself, but you talked about, you know, that mentality. Tennis is such an individual sport, and yet it's, you know, from what you read, from what you hear about what you guys are doing at the JTCC, you really do have a program-wide buy-in. And I'm curious, how do you get these students, get uh, these members who come from various different backgrounds, you know, a Francis Tiafo and a Dennis Kudla, uh, they, they may both be from the D.C. background, but, you know, where they come from, their parents, and their situations completely different. How have you gotten this top-to-bottom buy-in, you know, the community service? You could see, let's say I'm a 14-year-old kid and I've gone through a rough two-month tournament stretch and now my coach is saying, hey, you have to go do community service this Monday. I'd be like, no, like I I don't. I got to get back on the tennis court. How do you get these young athletes, uh, you know, particularly because they are so young, to buy in from such an early age? Um, the, The key is to get them young. You know, that's when we can mold it, their minds and, and, and the manners and the habits and, and the way of thinking. So uh, we feel pretty confident that when, when we get them young and, and, you know, they have such a great examples at the moment in, in, in front of them. Um, you know, Francis and Dennis, they have moved back to D.C. and they, they come to train and hang around between the tournaments. And that's a great example of... Um, of you know how the successful people are giving back so so our young kids are really spoiled in that sense that nowadays they have a great role models that they see that hey these guys are modest humble people and 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 they are willing to help early on you know everybody kind of had to take a leap of faith and 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 uh, you know coaching staff is really important that uh, coaches have a teacher's mentality um, I only hire coaches who have a teacher's mentality. Um, I have done all the mistakes in the world, you know, hiring people in the past. And I just, you know, it's so important that they have a teacher's mentality. And then they are teaching and they are mentoring these kids. And and the kids are great, you know, when, when they feel like coaches are invested and, and they care about them, you can teach um, anything. And, and uh, the key is that uh, we are all engaged and, and, and we love what we do. And, and then after that, uh, you know, the teaching is actually then easy when, when we get into that buying, like you said, you know, buying into it. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you say that because I did my research for this podcast. I was trying to, you know, learn a bit about you, A, try to learn how to pronounce your name above all else, but B, uh, you know, about your coaching. And that's not the first time I've heard you say, uh, you know, having a teacher's mentality is so important. And in an interview I watched you do uh, for some JTCC content, you talked about how, you know, you had the chance to coach pros after your playing career was done, and it wasn't for you. So I'm curious, you know, a, a you-centric question even more than the JTCC. When Ken Brody approached you in 1999, he said, hey, Vesa, I have this idea. You know, what do you think? What was it about this JTCC opportunity that appealed to you? Um, so that's, a, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> I, um, I took a leap of faith. You know, I, I left a great job 
and I took a huge pay cut and and um, and I just uh, bought into Mr. Mr. Prodi's uh, idea and, and, and vision and and that's one of the best decisions I have ever done in in my life. But um, but it's 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 you know it the main thing is that uh, you have to like kids, you have to like challenges that hey the kids they 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 love to learn if and when the teachers are motivated and, and are willing to put the time and effort into it so to me it was really easy um, i enjoy i'm an extremely competitive person and i it's very important to win all the big tournaments kalamazoo and orange balls but um, you know when you when you get a little bit older it's uh, you start to see the really really the big picture and important thing and that is that you know, giving these kids the tools to be successful, whatever they want to do. And I like to think I'm I'm uh, 55 years old, and I think that I'm slowly starting to mature. And I, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking that way. So um, I feel like I'm not working at all. Uh, you know, I, I enjoy what I'm doing. I'm never planning to retire. And and um, you know, it, it's it's a uh, it's a great honor and, and a pleasure to to be uh, working with the young young players. Yeah, I, I mean that's so that enthusiasm. I can tell. I imagine it. You know, the the players must feel your enthusiasm because, as you mentioned, you have been around the game now. Uh, you've been at the JTCC for twenty years, but involved in the game before that as well. Uh, that's interesting. You know, you say you'll never retire, and I'm curious. This is a random tangent, but I had a coach back in the day, and I feel like everyone who's played tennis has a coach like this, who hmm. as, like you. Uh, you know, he just never missed a volley at the net. We're doing hitting drills, whatever. I just I never seen him miss if he'll miss a forehand volley never two in a row you think you can make 100 volleys in a row at this point when you're you know feeding at the baseline you're like good forehand back cross court um yeah you know i i, I can if uh, if i do the counting <laughs> then then i will make it so uh but uh but no it's it's um uh, you know again we talk about the teacher's mentality you know you have to i believe you have to lead by example you have to be a good role model and, and and you just have to care and it sounds easy but it is not and and um, and you know i i believe that all we have had those great role models and those teachers that we will remember and 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 i think that it's a challenge for everybody that hey let's try to be that person let's try to be that person that the young ones will still remember hopefully 20 30 30 years down the road yeah, and I think uh, beyond even the coaching, the the programs you guys have, because for people who don't know, JTCC also serves as a full-time academy for those students interested in that. Uh, there's the academic portion. I believe you guys are partnered with Laurel Springs, who many uh, many know, uh, those who do do the homeschool route for uh, to pursue tennis more seriously often partner with Laurel Springs. Um, for you as a coach, you know, the overall mentality, again, fi- allowing players, uh, helping them strike that. That balance because I know a lot of our listeners, uh, either a parents of young uh, uh, developing players or themselves young developing players. How do you guys at the JTCC strike that balance to where again, uh, you know, it's some of the leadership programs off the court as well, but where the, these uh, enrollees are getting the full student athlete experience? Uh, no, it starts from the from the decision that we as a whole place have made already a long time ago. Uh, education. In the classroom and off the classroom is extremely important. It's the most important thing. I just give you one example. Uh, it's easy to talk about it, but I give you one example. Uh, when Francis was a junior, 
and he was, you know, when he won the uh, Orange Bowl when he was 15, the next six months, you know, it was really busy. He was traveling a lot and, and, and you know, barely had time to stay in school. And then when the U.S. Open time came, uh, you know, he got to the semis, uh, semis and, and, you know, but after that match, you know, his parents and us, we sat down and, and, and you know, he was so far behind in school. So we actually took him off the tournament for six months. So the next tournament he played was the following year, January. And you have to remember, we are talking about the guy who was number two in the world in juniors that time. So, so that kind of is an example that, hey, the school has to get done. And it is the most important thing with these young ones that they, they learn to think like that. So, uh, so you know, we don't not only talk the talk, but I would like to think that we also try to walk the walk. Yeah, and look, you bet you've had students go Harvard, Yale, Virginia, Andrew Fenty, one of a fellow Michigan Wolverine with myself, uh, yeah. you know, UCLA, Duke, you can go on and on and on. I think that emphasizes your, not only are you, your kids ex, uh, excelling on the tennis court, but they're getting into high-level universities as well. You brought up Tiafo. I'm not going to take the bait now, but know that I do have some questions about him coming sure, up in the future. Sure. Uh, I do want to talk, though, about, uh, again, a little bit more about these JTCC programs you have, because I don't think people understand how different it is what you guys are doing from so many of the local clubs out there. And I mean, you guys aren't just lo- a local club. Obviously, you guys were designated uh, one of the USTA Regional Training Centers, I think, think the first to be designated as such uh but can you talk a little bit about your other programs as well such as you know not just the leadership development but the neighborhood outreach you guys do to you know find young players that five through 11 age who might not otherwise get uh engaged with the sport of tennis absolutely um at the moment uh, we do it in 18 different locations in in washington dc and and uh, we go to the underprivileged uh, schools and 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 we just try to introduce tennis and 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 something different and we have done it now for about 15 years Uh, we go through a couple thousand players basically every single year Uh, it serves a little bit like our pipeline but more importantly it's it's the right thing to do it's also the great leadership training for our own players because they have to go and do it and they will be the stars of those sessions the coaches we are staying back and and the young players have to do the public speaking they have to lead the sessions and they have to create this uh, relationship with those younger kids so it works both ways so that's one way that um, that uh, we do it Uh, we have been very Luck in a sense that the last 10 years, Kaiko has been our, our sponsor and making it possible that we can reach as many young ones in, in here in Washington, D.C. Uh, another thing that what we are doing, which is a little bit unique and I'm pretty, oh, actually very proud of it, is that we are really trying to create this little bit new mindset with the young players. And we want to create an environment here that really inspires people and and um, so we are we are now uh, working on on daily and weekly basis with the special olympic athletes wheelchair tennis veterans teachers firemen and and these true heroes and and we want our players to to be you know having a having a chance to interact with these groups on on daily and weekly basis and and it has been great so far uh, 
these informal mentoring relationships are forming all the time and and we just want to make sure that our generation of the players will you know you know they promote inclusiveness tolerance diversity and they will have this great mindset when they are 18 years old and they are going out to the world and 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 they are, we are very confident that we, they are going to be extremely successful whatever they do yeah, and I, even beyond that, I'll, I'll throw in another plug for you because I know your Tennis Corps program where you bring youth and veterans together, I think it's weekly yeah. clinics, I believe. Yeah. You know, that's not something you see. We never had a program like that where I grew up training. And so just those special opportunities to expose these young athletes to so many different uh, members of the community, so Absolutely. many different people with so many different backgrounds. Again, I can only imagine how valuable that is. And, you know, for the JTCC facilities, because we haven't even talked about them yet. Uh, the fact that, you know, you don't often find these 32-court behemoths not located in California or Florida, right? It's so rare to see that many courts assembled in one place. Uh, how valuable is it to have these JTCC facilities to have, you know, not just the hard courts, but clay courts as well, to have the full-fledged uh, athletic training in the gym? Can you talk about how important it is to be able to offer that sort of well-rounded aspect from the tennis itself? Of course, it is important. It's uh, you know, um, I like to think that we have no excuses not to produce good players and good <laughs> good human beings. Um, you know, it, it's great. We have a we have a red clay court, screen clay, like you said, indoor, hard, outdoor hard, and and we have everything what we need. Uh, when we designed the place, uh, it was very important to us not to make it fancy. So. People who have visited our place, you know, it, it, they can see it's it's very practical. Uh, we have everything we need, but it's nothing fancy. It's uh, our fitness facilities are almost like uh, from the Rocky movie, and in, in a sense that it's it's designed that way. Um, and um, again, we we wanna make sure that our players have everything that is needed, but also that they stay humble. And um, so. Um, we are very lucky to have this great facility. It's 20 years old, and um, and uh, you know, like I said, um, we have absolutely no excuses not to produce tennis players. Are you more of a green clay or a red clay sort of coach? I'm a red clay guy. I grew up in Europe, and uh, you know, I uh, I love when my socks are red and my shoes are red. So. <laughs> I'm a oh, red clay court guy. No, again, no excuses. That's how you know yeah. you're working hard. I like to yeah. hear it. Um, or another random question. Again, we talked about uh, the wheelchair-based tennis and stuff, and I've had the opportunity to play wheelchair tennis before. I don't think people realize how difficult it is, how tremendous these wheelchair tennis-playing athletes are. I mean, have you ever gotten to play yourself? I think it's brutal. I have been in the wheelchair, and it is, you are right, it is very difficult um, and, and it's, it's remarkable what those uh, athletes are doing. Uh, what is really neat, uh, what we do in our place, um, you know, we actually have a young kids who unfortunately have to stay in the wheelchair and we actually have our kids teaching them also in the wheelchair. So it, it's really fascinating and, and they are bonding right away. So our able body players, you know, four, you know, 12, 13, 14 year olds are teaching the wheelchair players and they are also in the wheelchair and it, it's just fascinating how it breaks down all the barriers and and they start to create uh, you know friendships and, and it's uh, it's really it's really neat to see 
Yeah, and you, again, getting back to this theme, it's very easy for us from the outside to understand why uh, there's been so much buy-in from the students who have been to and trained at the JTCC, why they speak so highly of it. And, you know, again, getting back to the theme uh, you talked about earlier, Francis and Dennis coming in between tournaments to just hang out around the grounds and hit there. But I know you guys are also able to host some pretty cool events at your facility as well. How helpful is that in terms of exposing players to higher level tennis how important do you think it is for those young aspiring tennis players to you know not only play their local tournaments but to go out and actually experience college tennis you guys I I believe are the host site for the Maryland women's team but also you know experience all of those uh the higher levels of tennis that are out there um I I think that that is extremely important Uh, we are actually in what we do as a teacher's we have to create an environment that the kids can dream. And you can only dream when you have some examples and you can have some visuals. And that makes it much easier. So um, as you mentioned, the University of Maryland, they train every single day in our place and they play all their matches. We also have uh, plenty of other schools, Georgetown and George Washington University playing matches and, and sometimes training. So our kids get exposed to the college tennis on daily basis, which is great. Uh, we have hosted uh, plenty of uh, pro tournaments, uh, and you know, so that was helpful for the kids to see that what it takes to play in that level. And 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 also, we we host uh, ITF Category One, a big tournament right before the U.S. Open. Many times, uh, you know, all the best junior players are coming here to play the warm-up tournament before the U.S. Open. So, I'm a big believer that. Uh, you know, getting kids to ready to dream, they also have to see and they have to experience. They have to 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 see that, hey, it is possible. And that's why it's so important to have our alumni coming back because um, our kids, uh, you know, they can believe. Yeah, and, and I will say this. I remember distinctly, and I, I don't remember the year. I think it was 15 or 16, or maybe it was 14 or 13, Riley Opelka playing Tim Van Ruchevin. I, I definitely mm-hmm. butchered that name. In the final of that tournament, I think Colette Lewis posted the video on YouTube, and that was the first time I was like, wow, this this Riley guy is really something. Um, so, you know, even from afar, just seeing that level of tennis, yeah. it, it, it's it's absolutely incredible. Uh, one other thing I wanted to talk about about the JTCC, and then I do want to get into the nitty-gritty coaching wise but okay. I know you guys uh ensure participation for for players even those who require financial assistance I think it's something provided more than 800,000 need-based and merit-based grants in 2016 and you know I'm sure you guys continue to do that year in year out uh, why is that important for you guys I know you're a nonprofit, but yeah. given the success you guys have had certainly you could have made the change of that by now there's definitely a model to plenty of financial success there for you if you guys want it why does you know continuing to make the JTCC a place where all players can come play tennis? Why does that continue to be so important to you guys? It is because we all are aware how insanely expensive sport tennis is. Not only here in USA, but in all over the world. And it's so much talent is lost because uh, it's just you know it's not possible to get high quality training because it's so expensive. So that was one of the first ideas that Mr. Prodi came up that. We have to provide the the families that the kids are working really hard and they are good kids and, and they want to play college tennis, that we have to be able to provide them a high-quality training. So we created a financial aid. We, we have a 
we have a group of great people who are doing a lot of fundraising. We fundraise a lot of money, and all that money goes straight to the financial aid. So we are very unique in a sense that that uh, you know our our nonprofit, you know, everything goes back to the juniors, and our our uh, you know founder Ken Brody is is not taking anything out of it. I mean, he has put a tons of money in it over the years. Luckily, he had, he doesn't need to do it anymore. And uh, but we work really hard to do the fundraising. We have a great team to do it, and it is really important that this great families and the kids who really want to achieve something special that they have a chance to have an access to the to the hopefully high quality training well for those of our listeners out there who and i don't know how you couldn't be uh are impressed by what's going on at the jtcc who want to help contribute is there any way they can get involved absolutely you know you uh, you know just uh, go to our website and 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 uh, jtcc.org and and and, and just uh, you know you know, contact us and, and, and we will welcome all the help that we can get. And, and um, you know, I, you know, I, I really appreciate that one. Thank you. Yeah, of course. And seriously, jtcc.org, uh, this is the sort, if there are more JTCCs out there, you know, I don't think any of us will need to worry about the health of the Americans, uh, American men's or women's tennis game at any time. And, you know, I think the fact that we see players like Robin, like Francis, it's, you know, this first wave of players who, and even the Tommy Paul's Opelkas of the world, there is a generation of Americans already on the rise. Uh, but you talked about lost talent, and I want to use that to segue into our conversation about tennis. And for you, you in particular, coming from Finland, finding UT Martin playing Division II tennis, that's not an ordinary path. So for you, how did you find your way to college tennis? And as someone who played D2, you have the chance to, you know, discuss with your students. There are more options out there than just D1 tennis. Why was that the place for you? No, it's, it's pretty simple. Um, I, you know, when, when, you know, I, when I left Finland, I was 18. I moved to Germany. I played there three, four years. I, I, I played pros. I played a Bundesliga, uh, made a few points there and here. Didn't make enough money to, to you know, to to live on it. So when I was, I was actually 23-year-old freshman when I decided that, hey, I have to now get my education. And, and those days... Um, uh, D2 was only chance that I could stay four years and, 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 and get paid my education. So I knew nothing about the University of Tennessee at Martin. Uh, they just happened to be the first one to contact me and my coach in Germany. And, and you know, so, you know, it was kind of just uh, taking a leap of faith and, and it worked out great. Uh, it was a great place to study. There was really nothing else to do. So I studied hard and, 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 and you know, that time the college tennis was kind of easy, but uh, but I, I went there to, to study. I got my undergraduate and my MBA, so it worked out great, but... Um, but- Do you think, sorry to cut you guys, do you think had you not played at UT Martin, you would have, as you, to quote your term, you know, would have been a lost talent. You wouldn't have found a future in the sport. The reason I ask is because it's a, it's a big thing we have whenever we talk to college coaches of, you know, there are more options out there than just the top D1 schools. You can't all be Andrew Fenty or Luca Corntelli or Mitchell Frank and go to a Michigan or a Virginia. So how, how helpful and beneficial was it for you to get to keep playing tennis and get your education do you think you go to college without that sort of opportunity 
No, I, I'm either, you know, to come from Europe to here to college, it's extremely expensive. So mm-hmm. um, I, I, just, I was very practical about it. I decided that whoever will contact me first and will pay my way, uh, hey, that's going to be my home for the next <laughs> couple of years. And, um, and so, you know, it was, I was very practical about it. Uh, you know, at, when you were a player, you know, you thought that nothing is better than being a player. And that is true when you are playing. But, uh, but uh, you know, when you get into coaching and if you really, you know, get, get, uh, get going and everything, I mean, I have to say that uh, playing is great and being a player, but nothing is better than being a coach. So I believe that, uh, you know, I found tennis already when I was a little kid and I always wanted to be part of it and, and you know, as a player you think that this is the only thing that matters, but actually being a coach is, is nothing is more important than that. Yeah, and I'm curious because uh, for all of these coaches who stay involved with the game so long, I mean, for me, uh, for just some perspective for you, I'm 24, but I already know that I love tennis. Like, I just can't get away from it. And for me, it was because I was a little bit chubbier when I was younger, and I used tennis, and the empower, you know, it empowered me to take a hold of my situation to get in the sort of shape I wanted to be in, to be more comfortable, you know, on, on the court, to be more confident off of it as well. What was it about the game of tennis that kept calling back to you i mean when you know i think that it's it's with a lot of people uh, you know I, I did all the team sports uh, but it's just something about tennis you know that warrior and gladiator mentality that you are alone and, and and you just go and battle it's just something that um, really i was drawn into it and and then uh my coach in in, in europe and germany was nikki pilitz who was uh, you know big fan of uh great Australian generation of 50s and 60s, you know, that, you know, there are no excuses. You just, uh, when you step on the court, you declare yourself fit to play. So all these little things, you know, they they, they made an impression and, and, um, and I still believe in those uh, values that um, tennis in my book is the, the very best sport to, to prepare for your, for your rest of your life. And it is extremely demanding sport to get to the top so you know it it teaches you a lot of life lessons yeah i completely agree with you Uh, the fact you have to learn to problem solve you have to learn to adjust if things aren't working all of these different things and yeah take control of your own performance it's just you out there like i'm sure there are kids who want to come back and say hey like you're not coaching me well and it's like well i can only do so much you're the one out there playing on the court and so i completely agree with you i think it is why we all enjoy tennis so much of course there's also the unintentional comedic factor for every tweener attempted every shank (laughs) gone wrong there's every blow up that's half the fun as well um but for you you you've talked about your love of coaching and you've talked about the teacher's mentality and evidently you know it it, it must be working as you've stayed in coaching uh for as long as you've had and had the sort of success you have but over your 20 years you've seen the game develop you know you've seen courts slow down you've seen baseline bashing become more of a thing i'm curious how have your coaching philosophies changed as the game has changed have you changed any of your approaches or have you know can you approach coaching a student the same way you did in 2000 now in 2020 yeah i mean i i started it even i started in an early 90s the, my coaching so um so i have been coaching a little bit more than 30 years um, that is a really good question i do not think that the 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 game itself the the basics of the game um 
you know, have really changed in a sense. You know, I believe that those great champions from 50s and 60s would also be great champions nowadays. You know, the, you know, the, the, the surfaces will change, the pose will change, the rackets, you name it. But uh, being a champion, uh, you, know, it, it, you know, you need to go internal strength and your intangibles. And I don't think that those have changed. And um, so you're asking about the coaching philosophy. Um, I can tell you that uh, my maturity level has changed in a sense that when <laughs> you're a younger one, in early days in JTCC, you know, we had this really complicated coaching philosophies and everything because we wanted everybody to know how smart we are. And um, the funny thing is that nowadays, everything is much simpler. And, and I, I believe that the simple is good. And just to give you an example, uh, our coaching philosophy is one sentence nowadays, and that is trust your training. And, and that is kind of... Uh, a result of 30 years of trying to figure it out what this game and what the training is all about. And we as a team came to the point that, hey, it's all about trust. And, and there needs to be a trust between the player and the coach and the coach and the parents and, and parents and the players. And it's just uh, trust your training. It's a very loaded concept, but um, that is our coaching philosophy at the moment. Yeah, and I know you when you've talked about that coaching philosophy in the past, you've talked about uh, you know both the importance of patience, uh, the importance of patience, and the importance of confidence and belief. I'm curious to stay on this. Maybe your perspective has changed uh, over your course of coaching. Uh, similarly, you talk about trusting your trainee. How much of the breakdown of the game now is you know physical versus mental? How much of it is what goes on in your you know in that? little space of you know in your brain i suppose i'm doing the gesture of in that little five foot box that is your brain but you can't you can't see that um but you know how much is it mental versus physical because there's the argument you can coach anyone to hit a forehand really hard hit a backhand really hard but what's going on in your head you know that's what separates the champions no absolutely and and, and i think that it has always been like that um you know uh, you know that when if you have a courage to to you know to hit the right ball at the right time uh but what has changed that there's no question that our game has become much, much more physical, which I think that is great because it makes our game so demanding and, and, and it makes it so unique because it's, it's uh, technically, tactically, physically and emotionally you have to be operating at your peak. And, and it, I don't think that there are other sports that uh, would uh, check all those boxes. And, and top of that one, it's an individual sport. So, um, so the physical aspect, of course, is um, is huge. You know, it um, the speed used to be a difference maker. You know, the you know your movement and your speed. But you know what? Nowadays, everybody can move. <laughs> um, the technique used to be a difference maker, but the fact is, everybody has a good technique nowadays. So it all comes back to the the mental and emotional side of it, and and I think that uh, that's what makes a makes a difference and. And, and makes our game so uniquely demanding. So, slight counterpoint, and I, I want to hear your thoughts on this. My argument, and I'm a, I know, I'm a big fan of progress. I just think, you know, sure. as we continue to move on, things should be continuing to get better. Otherwise, you know, what are we doing? Um, and my, my question to you, I guess, is, 
you put an athlete like a Mitchell Frank, you put an athlete like an Andrew Fenty back in 1950. You're telling me they're not just running on the Rod Lavers and Roy Emersons of the world? Uh, what, what do you mean exactly? I mean, just the type of athletes that the wherewithal of, you know, I feel like the Emersons and the Lavers, they were serving volleyers. They don't even know that you can grind 20 balls away at the baseline, do all of these things. It was everyone had the mentality of attack, attack, attack. I just feel like the way the game's changed, and maybe it depends on the rackets you're using. You know, if maybe if you give Laver and Emerson uh, the sort of frames we have now, maybe their game adjusts. But I, do, I think the game has gotten better. I think the best players now are better than the best players of, of, you know the 2000s even or the 90s or the 80s is that crazy no it i mean you are right but uh, but i'm mean, just look at it you know when you look at um, pictures of um, let's say bjorn borg and jimmy connors playing um, you would think you know and i was lucky enough to 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 follow those guys and and you would think that it's not going to get any better than that it's not going to get any faster than that now you look at it back and it looks like a slow motion <laughs> uh, but what is scary when you really think about it? Now we are looking at it. Um, great players like Nadal and Djokovic and Federer. But I can promise you, ten years, fifteen years from now, those guys are looking slow. So, but it doesn't discount the fact that these are all great champions, and that's why uh, that that you know that uh, the winning something big and 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 everything it. You know, it, it, it takes a special person. And, and I'm totally convinced that Rod Lavers and, and Bjorn Borgs, you know, they would be absolutely successful if they would have gone through the training and, and, and the rackets and everything because they had the champion's mindset. They had those intangibles. But there's no question that if you take a player from the 50s or 60s and now you put them against uh, Nadal, yeah, it, it's it's a it's a little bit different and more physical and 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 faster game, but I, I don't think that's a fail to compare like that. You have to compare that the champions mentality and somebody like Bjorn Borg uh, would absolutely be a champion nowadays if and when he would have gone through the you know the same training and everything that these guys are going. To. Yeah, I, so I completely agree with that, and that's the much more nuanced take. I like to put a little flair on it. That's sure, why you know, sure. I'm in the show business, right? Exactly. Um, but, but yeah, no, that that's perfect. I love that. And so you talk about that physicality and how that element is now so important in the modern game. Uh, one guy I know you uh, must know quite well, given his time at the JTCC, a guy I wrote about recently on our website, CrackRackets.com, uh, Francis Tiafo, who I think you look early in his career, He's already an ATP title champion. He's made a quarterfinal at the Grand Slam level. He's made a quarterfinal at the (coughs) Masters level as well. Um, I think certainly physically he has the skills uh, for what it takes to be a successful professional athlete. But you talked about, you know, everyone has pretty good form now. I think, you know, the big thing for Francis, and I wrote about this, is the forehand still for him. And so I'm curious, you see a guy like Francis and, you know, that there is that one quality about him that it seems that people continue you to attack you know how I guess the the larger question is how important is it in your game now you know to have one sort of you know the big serve big forehand that was a model for American tennis for a long time I feel like that model is outdated like that would no longer work do you think that's fair to say I think that it's fair to say when you are looking at hey winning winning 
you know, Grand Slams and, and being top five and, and, and top ten. I, I think that, you know, you you have to have a complete game nowadays. Um, I don't think that you have a choice. Uh, the, the level is such that, uh, you know, you have clear weaknesses. If you are, if you cannot move well or if you cannot hit a certain point, then, you know, you will be found out. There's no question about that. Uh, you have to have a very close to be a complete game. Yeah, and I'm curious because in terms of becoming well-rounded versus, you know, accentuating your strengths from a coaching perspective, let's say you have a player who you know, they're going to be winning matches, their road to the tennis scholarship is the serve plus the forehand. From a coaching perspective, how much would you emphasize, you know, working on those traits that you know are winning you matches versus, uh, you know, working on the other skills, rounding everything off? How, How do you recommend maintaining that balance? I, I think that uh, every player has to find their game style, and and it many times it it goes with their personality, you know how they how what kind of people they are. But uh, but uh, you know it, it's really important that uh, you know you don't try to copy other people. You have to find your own game style, and that's really that's actually exciting part of coaching and being a player. And it, it's actually it's much more difficult than it sounds. And and uh, but same same time, you have to be solid. You you cannot have clear weaknesses because um, doesn't matter how tough you are or how mentally you can handle things. And if you have clear weaknesses, then you are going to be in trouble. Yeah, and to Francis's game in particular, uh, the point I made in the article, I'm curious your perspective on this. I do think the forehand as of right now, it just seems that players are able to target with their big first serve, go to that side, draw a slice response from him, and just get him playing defense from the onset. What have you thought about Francis's continued development on the Pro Tour? Um, I think that uh, talking about the forehand, I... You know, I have known Francis when he, you know, all his playing career. And I can tell you that, uh, you know, I have seen through the history, I have seen a lot of different kind of looking forehands and, and strokes. And the thing with, with uh, Francis' forehand is that uh, I think that it, uh, even when he moves well and he's precise with his footwork and contact point, that forehand is a, is a great weapon, and it can work absolutely. People are saying, some coaches are saying that he cannot pull it down the line. Absolutely he can, but he has to position and move himself extremely well. And Francis is a little bit sluggish when it comes to, you know, positioning himself. So I think that, you know, hopefully this year and in coming years, you know, he will he will get his precise footwork. We all know he's a great athlete. But uh, he's a little sluggish and, you know, careless with his setting up. And and, um, and that forehand, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, he has to find the way how to use that forehand. It has so much rotation. It is so difficult to read. And when he hits it well, it's it's one of the best uh, forehands in, in the game. And I'm sure you remember a Swedish player called uh, Stefan Edberg. <laughs> uh, We've know, met once or twice. Exactly, and his <laughs> forehand, uh, you know, it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't anything beautiful. It 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 looked really bad, but he found the way to use it for his game style, and 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 that's what I'm talking about. That these players have to learn 
to to use their strokes and 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 in in the way that it will fit their game style and uh, and Stefan Edberg was a great example. You wouldn't teach Stefan's forehand to anybody, but it gave him a chance to get a half a step quicker to the to the net, and then it worked very well for him. Uh, Francis's forehand has a. I think that I saw the study that only Jack Sock and Nadal have more rotation on the ball, and 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 something like that. So, and I have seen that Paul, and he just needs to absolutely do a much better job you know to have a precise and 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 great footwork you know you see him getting caught when somebody returns to the middle of the court and those are the things that he's working on with his coaching team and and i'm 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 confident that um, that forehand will be looked up in 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 the coming years as as a huge weapon yeah, certainly, and I think we see it. You know, the success he has on the first serve when he can get a ball that you know is slow, as draw a slice with that serve, get to set on that first forehand. I agree with you; it's as big yeah. and dangerous of a shot as anyone. But I'm curious. You talk about his forehand, and you know, I, I agree with you. I think all of the tools are there, but you know, certainly with the footwork, uh, it, it all just requires perfect timing, and perhaps yeah. the margin of error is just a little bit smaller for him than others. Exactly. Um, but in terms of structural change, and I would never ask, you know, what changes would you make to Francis's forehand? I wouldn't want to put you in that position. But I would ask, at a certain point in a player's game, uh, it, it, does it come to where, you know, the strokes just are what they are and you don't want to tinker with them anymore? Or do you think tinkering with the stroke, maybe even big structural changes can still happen? You know, maybe, you know, Francis is the exception because he's playing professionals. But even when you're 16, 17 years old, you can still make a big change to your ground strokes i i i think i think that uh, yes you can if it's done with uh, with the right way and and making sure that the player doesn't lose the confidence because when the player loses the confidence then you know it's an absolute uphill battle to 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 get it back even when it comes to the technique and making some really big changes uh, i like the words that you were using you know making adjustments making uh small changes there and here and when you make enough these small changes they end up being a major change and i that's why i think that we are so lucky to have these great three players federer and dojkovic and nadal because the reason why they are still on the top not only because the intangibles are great but they are learning all the time and they are making these little changes i look at uh, look at uh, nadal's serve i mean that uh, every season he comes up with something a little different and um, and and I think that that mindset and mentality is really important. So to answer your questions, it's not ideal to change somebody's stroke totally when they are 16, 17. It can be done, but it is it's difficult. Um, you know, you would like to do those big changes when the kids are really young. But um, if you do some small adjustments with a great plan and, and consistency. They actually end up, uh, you know, the the change is actually going to be going to be big, and I think that that should be the approach when when coaches know what they are doing. Yeah, and thankfully uh, for Francis, he can always go back to the JTCC to uh, get that sort of advice, get back on the court with uh, and get a good training block in. Uh, another player at the JTCC who's had tons of success, we got the chance to talk to her on the Cracked Interviews podcast at the end of last year, uh, Robin Montgomery, who I believe it was it was Orange Bowl, not Eddie Her, right, where she ended up taking home the title. Um, yeah, and yeah, sure- he won, she won the, you know, we are, you know, we are very lucky, you know, it, it's, 
I was just talking to somebody that, uh, you know, Francis was 15 when he won the Orange Bowl 18s and, and Robin was 15, oh, he's 15 when she won the Orange Bowl. And, and you know, Francis, to his credit, you know, is kind of mentoring Robin and, and being kind of the example. So it, it's it's pretty neat. It, it's uh, it's a pretty rare, but it, it's, it's good to see. Yeah, and so I'm curious for you guys and, uh, you know, Maybe it you, it doesn't have to be for her tailored specifically, but for someone at that point of their career. Now you've had the chance to do this with the Francis's and the Dennis's and Mitchell Frank. Obviously, had a ton of success in his career yeah. as well. Um, what does the development path in your mind look like for someone who has that sort of young success at a young age? You talked about for Francis, it was making sure he's still well rounded, focusing on the off court stuff as well. What does the path look like for someone in that position? I, I think that, um, you know, keeping distractions to the minimum, um, you know, learning to, you know, to, to work on daily basis well, uh, having, of course, the big goals and dreams there, but uh, learning to focus on that everyday counts and, and just trying to get better a little bit. It sounds easy, but it's really difficult, uh, especially with the young players when, you know, there's a little hype going on, so... If you can stay level-headed and, and just focus on getting better, working on your game, and, and, and good things will happen. I know it sounds like a cliche, but it is extremely <laughs> important, and it takes a strong team around the player that um, that team allows that one to happen. Well, off of that, I'm curious because you talked about the importance of Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, the example they've set. I'm going to throw Andy Murray in that conversation because yeah. I'm a big four proponent myself. So yeah. it's just a little little bias thrown in there. But why do you think those – is it a testament to their greatness, I suppose, that the big three continue to be winning all of the slams? Is it just they're doing something differently? Why do you think they have continued to have the success at that level and some of the next-gen guys, while getting closer, have still ultimately come up short? I, I have a theory. Um, um, I think it's a combination of the things. We are witnessing – something very special with these three or four players you mentioned. There's no question about it. I think that, you know, we look back and they will be one of, uh, will be the greatest ever. No question about it. But I have to say that um, how I look at it, I think that these young guys are just not as good as everybody thinks they are. Uh, What I mean by it is that uh, when you are in that early 20s or 23, 24, and then the guys who are 38 and 34, they, they win all the slams. You know what? It, it, it means that you might not be as good as everybody thinks that you are. I, I really think that these guys got to be winning these slams. Um, it is really amazing that they are not winning slams yet. And, of course, Federer and Nadal and Dojkovic, they are absolutely great. But the fact is that Federer has lost two steps. Uh, Nadal has lost the one step and Dojkovic is about to lose a step and they are still winning all these slams and we know that the tennis is a game of inches and we are talking about these guys losing some steps so these younger guys um, I think that they have to step it up and, and it's time for them to start to win these slams so I think the combination of these three four guys are so special they they are learning consistently they are looking the ways to improve but you know what when when uh, you know when you are in your early 20s and mid 20s you got to take the old guys out 
I mean that you know <laughs> I, I think that that needs to needs to be said and 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 I hope that I'm a big fan of these three but um, these young guys got to got to take them out sooner than later non-JTCC players who's your favorite of the young guys who do you think is the one who could get it done soonest I'm a big fan of and I think that um, he will be the future number one I, I'm a big fan of Felix I think that there's a there's a guy who is solid everywhere great athlete seems to be working hard great mentality I think that it's a matter of time when I think that he would be number one in the world in in, in three four years uh, Meanwhile, you know, uh, theme of course, I appreciate his work and everything, but you know, he, now he has had a three slam finals and, and he's still 0-3. You know, we have to remember, you know, I think it was Murray and, and Lendl were 0-4 or then they won the finals. So, you know, winning is so difficult, but uh, I think that the next one, I think that maybe Chichi Barca is maybe the guy who can who can win uh, win the next one? Uh, I was very impressed with Medvedev, Medvedev, uh, you know, last year, and and it will be interesting to see how he respond this year. But uh, you know, there's a group of six to ten players that um, you know they you know one of those guys can win a slam. But the key is, is there a guy who is going to win two or three slams in the next couple of years, and who will start to kind of puts you know number of slams together will time will tell i'm i i you know i like felix i i just you know i saw him when he was i have seen him since he was 13 years old and and i'm just impressed how he's progressing and how he handles himself so you know i'm, I'm a big fan of him no i love it i i have made this case on prior podcasts i would say and you get to see them in person that the forehands of felix and rublev they just sound different than anyone else i've ever heard and like even federer even Djokovic, just the ball coming off of their strings the amount of turn and torque they get into the shot it's just different and it is, you know, it is. It, it's a it's a great ball and it's it's uh it's an effective and that these guys learn how to use it right and, and pick up their spots a little bit better it, it's going to do a lot of damage yeah, and then, you know, the flip side, uh, I, I guess, uh, on the women's side, why do you think we've seen so many young players being able to break through? And, you know, it's the Kennens, the Osakas, the Andrescu, Sabalenka this week, and they all seem to play differently as well. So do you think it's that, you know, there is no Federer, Djokovic, Nadal standard bear? Serena just I, I, not I, Yeah, I think that, Alex, that's a good point. I think that there's a vacuum at the moment. In, the, in a women's game and which is you know everything goes in the cycles the men's game used to have it and and you know you know William sisters you know you know uh, you know they are past their prime so I think there's a vacuum and I think that it will be pretty interesting to see who is the next one who will step it up and who will become that next superstar you know Osaka was pretty promising the last 18 months but you know, we will see if she's able to keep it going. And and but um, I think that there's a vacuum, and and let's see who will who will take advantage of it. Yeah, hey, my money's on Robin Montgomery. 
I think she's this young up-and-coming talent. I heard her coaching situation is really good, um, and she's the one to pick. Um, no, that is uh, – I, I completely agree with everything you said. And uh, last question for you because you've been so kind with your time. You brought something up, and it's another change that I think I see coming in uh, tennis. And you mentioned you played Bundesliga tennis, and I don't think yeah. that's something many people in America are well aware of, the club tennis scene that goes on in Europe. And, you know, it's world team tennis-esque for people for maybe – the comparison you can draw in terms of the sort of match format. Can you talk a little bit about the club tennis scene in Europe? And then also, do you think team tennis is going to, do you think that's the way the game is going? And I know Labor Cup, ATP Cup, uh, Davis Cup, Fed Cup are the obvious ones, but I could see a world where there's more team tennis on the horizon. I'm curious your thoughts on that. Okay, and the first, a uh, little bit about the club tennis and the culture in Europe, um... Uh, in the 80s, when I was playing, it was absolutely huge. Um, you know, in 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 German Bundesliga, you know, we you know we had a uh, Becker and Villas, and you know we had a uh, Villanders. We had you know all the best ones. We were there. You know, the the money was good. They 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 got money, and and that was they used it as a training block, and and then they got some matches. So it was fantastic. It was a great for the young player because you know you could earn a little bit money and then you could uh, train and play with the really great players and 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 you always had the next match coming up you know because in a pro tour when you lose and you know then you have to wait for the week and in germany and in in france the club tennis the culture is fantastic um and and you know the younger kids they actually learn to play against different styles because of that one so um you know um after European Union started it in, in, in early 1990s, it has changed a little bit. And, and um, I don't think that the money is as big as it used to be, but the culture is still there. You know, the club tennis is a big deal. They have a sponsors and, and those matches that they play, they are, they are a big deal. And I think that it's good, good training ground in a sense. Um, it has, a, you know... Um, it, it can be also dangerous because, uh, you know, it can spoil players. And, <laughs> and, and I think that German Bundesliga spoiled a couple of generations years ago because, you know, you know, the players became kind of big stars within their own country and they didn't feel like they need to be traveling a lot. So, it you know, it, it goes both ways. But um, the culture is fantastic because the club means a lot and, and, and they play for the club and, and and you know, I, I was always a big fan of it, and it it, it helped me a lot, um, you know, to to learn and 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 be around those great players. Um, what you ask about the, what direction tennis is going, I I think that it's pretty clear at the moment that um, you know they are pushing more and more for the for the team competition, and um, you know I am a traditionalist in a sense that um, that you know. I thought that I think that there are certain things that just should should left uh, untouched, and and but um, I'm all for team as long as they leave the Grand Slams alone. I I want <laughs> that I want that reference point that that you can you know the Grand Slam needs to be left alone. I mean tennis has a big history of uh, exhibition tennis. You know I mean that uh, in the 40s and 50s the pro tennis was all about exhibitions. And um, you know, steel exhibitions are part of the of the game, and and you know, I really don't mind if they make some 
more team team stuff. As long as I know that uh, you know Grand Slams are left alone, and we have a kind of measuring points, you know that we can compare the Grand Slams over the years. Um, but um, I have to tell you, I have to go on the record in a sense that you know I I, I know I know that every all the changes they need time and patience. But um, I was kind of disappointed with this uh, this Davis Cup. I'm a big fan of the Davis Cup and. It really didn't. Uh, I, I I didn't get a great taste of it. First of all, I'm a crazy tennis guy. I love to watch tennis, and it was very difficult to find the Davis Cup on TV. I mean, I couldn't. You know, it took me forever to to mm-hmm. see some matches, and then I mean that. You know, you are you are in Spain, and then you have a Belgium and Colombia playing in front of. 27 people i mean that that's that hurts me and 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 davis cup is you know the crowd makes davis cup special and 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 who in spain is going to go and watch uh belgium and 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 colombia even if belgium has a top 10 player in cofan and it just i it, it kills me to see these empty empty seats and empty stadiums and i hope that they will make adjustments and they will get it going but um I'm a, I'm a big fan of the home crowd. So, or you go to the hostile environment and you have to survive. I, you know, I talked to Francis when he went to, you know, he played uh, Coritz in, in, in a fifth match in, in Davis Cup. And, and he said that he was so proud because he was able to silence the crowd. <laughs> you know, those kind of things are pretty neat. And, and I hope that they will do well with the Davis Cup because it's such a big tradition in our game. But, I, I was very, it made me nervous last year, I, I, I have to admit, and I hope that they will tweak it and they will get it right. No, then, no, I, I think that's completely fair, and I think there's something, too, of course, from a marketing standpoint, doing it all in one week. I think we can all understand that, and maybe if you tell all the top players, hey, this is the only week you have to worry about Davis Cup, you're going to get more buy-in from the rest of them. But yeah, to your point, I mean, the home crowd is what makes the Davis Cup tie, yeah. the home yeah. atmosphere, and teams going on the road. Uh, do I, I think it was when Andy Murray was playing in front of a Belgian crowd when he won that first yeah. uh, Davis Cup title for the UK a couple of years back, and just that moment, you could tell how special it was, or when they clinched the match in doubles, him and Jamie over exactly. Australia, uh, exact same sort of thing where you just don't get that if you're playing at a neutral site. Um, I do want to ask one reform sure. about this can be our last one, I swear. No um, problem. But on-court coaching, because that's another one of those things, and I, I'm sure I can guess where you stand on no ad versus ad scoring, but for on-court coaching, they're already doing it on the WTA. They're doing it, I believe, at the junior level in certain USTA tournaments. We talked earlier about you know the importance of tennis, the ability for it to you learn to problem-solve. You learn all yeah. of these different skills. But what do you think about the idea of on-court coaching? I'm, I am... I'm against it because of the fact that I want this game to be one of the very few sports in the world, unique sport that the demands are so different that you are totally alone. And, 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 and you know, when you play in the big arena in front of people and, and you are struggling, it, it feels like you are naked. And that feeling is, is really real and strong and you have to overcome it and you have to find the way to problem solve and I would love to see our game to stay like that because 
then we would be unique. We would be different. I, I understand that there's a little entertainment value when there's a mic and the coach can talk a little bit. But honestly, I don't think that that makes a difference. I think that the price we might end up paying is that we lose this uniqueness. And I think that we should market the game differently. I, I, I think that we try to make it cool and hip, but why don't we make it the most demanding sport in the world? I mean, make it something extremely special. And I, I'm a big fan of the fact that the players have to, you know, when they step on the court, you know, you know, one guy is going to lose and one guy is going to win and they have to figure it out. And, and uh, you know, it's like a boxing. And, and, and I, I'm just, a, that is one of those core values that I, I love about this sport. And, you know, I, look, it, it's, it's not going to ruin the game, but I just feel like it's, it just takes a little bit that uniqueness away and, and, and we become like uh, everybody else. Sure. I'm going to give this slight counterpoint again, and I'm curious sure. about your thoughts. Sure. I think maybe in the juniors up to, you know, 16s, 18s, I mean, maybe the entire juniors, that makes sense, because that's when the most problem-solving needs to occur. And mm-hmm. there is something, too, you know, Medvedev was out there down two sets to love in that U.S. Open final, and for him to just find a way to stay yeah. alive, for him to take yeah. sets three and four without any sort of coaching advice, that is, you know, that's why that match was as special as yeah. it was. But at the same time, we want the game to be as good as it can be. We want these players playing their best possible tennis at all, you know, all possible times. There are, is something to, you know, let's say you're down five love in a first set in a random, you know, Grand Slam match, and you can have your coach come out and say, hey, like, this is what you're doing wrong. It's so clear to me from outside of the match, and you're not seeing it, but once you see it, you're going to fix everything. And it leads to a better quality match. It leads to a higher level of tennis being played from the fans' perspective. And, you know, ultimately it is, I suppose, the fans paying the bills for a lot of these players. Wouldn't it you know, make sense to try and get that sort of better tennis out of these players as they're competing? Um, I I get your point, but how about if I tell you that if, if somebody cannot figure it out what is happening when they are getting their part kicked 5-0, <laughs> they are not maybe that good anyway. I mean, yeah. my point is that uh, the, the top players, that quality that you want to see and the people want to see, they can figure it out. And, 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 and that's why they are so good. And, and and I I just I don't think that that maybe that short term fix for the little quality for that match is worth of um, kind of you know changing the fabric of the of the game and 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 uh, I think that uh, there's a in these team competitions I'm absolutely for it you know it 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 uh, brings it a good show and it's entertainment and it's great and it can be a great learning experience but when it really counts. I would love it to be that uh, mano mano. You know, you just mm-hmm. step into the court, and and one of you guys are going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And, and I think and... to add to your point, the idea that uh, you know not every player, you know, financial background is going to be able to afford to travel with a coach. So those that can versus those that can't, you're creating an issue there. I do think I lean your way. Just wanted to give the slight counterpoint. Yeah. No. Look, it's it's. I don't think that. Uh, you know, coach. I think that it's uh, it's 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 a great learning experience, and when it's done right, I, it 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 can help. But I'm talking about uh, when it really counts. I I, I think that we want to see that raw. You know, the 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 raw 
excellence there that uh, somebody has to dig deep inside and find these answers. I, I think that that's fascinating. And, uh, and I think that that has so much value. I mean, that you look at these top guys, I mean, how many times we have seen them to figuring it out. I mean, that, of course, you know, they, they might get some signals from the stance and that, but it's still, it's all about them, you know, having a, you know, skills and the belief and, and confidence to hang in and figuring it out. And I, I think that that's what our game is all about. You know, our game is not a, it's not figure skating that you get extra points for the style. I mean, it, it's, it's different athletes, you know, hanging in there and, and trying to figure out how can I keep this guy out of the tournament. And, and yeah. I think that that is, that's the beauty of the sport for me personally. No, I love that. And, um, uh... Yeah, I mean, the the only time I think, yeah, as you mentioned, coaches in the team environment makes perfect sense. And I would love to see, you know, someday that the two Labor Cup teams are tied and they just say, okay, Federer, you're going to play with Borg. Kyrgios, you're going to play with McEnroe. And we're going to do doubles to decide this coach yeah. and player versus coach and player. That, to me, would be the best purpose for a coach. I, I mean, like you, you mentioned Labor Cup. It's so funny, you know. I, I grew up and my biggest idol was Bjorn Borg. I mean, that he was the he was the man. But I have to tell you, you know, when I'm watching Bork in the Labor Cup, I mean, that it, you know, I mean, he's an Iceman and he doesn't say much, but, I, you know, <laughs> I mean, it, it's pretty funny. He sits there and, and claps a few times and that's it. No, it's, Federer is player, coach, manager. Oh, all, I mean, and Bjorn is actually just the figurehead who they're like, hey, just look good. Like, just slick back that hair. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and he plays I mean, that role. To a T. Um, all right. Uh, truthfully, last question, I promise. And my producer's no rolling his eyes at me in the background. Um, but my question to you is, was there ever a point in his time at the JTCC where you stopped this player and said, listen, Mitchell, if you hit another drop shot, you're done. Like just 10 push-ups, just start running. Like no more drop shots from you today. It wasn't a drop shot, you know. Um, it, it, it ha- there has been... Yeah, you know, I'm I'm known to in my moments, you know, I have <laughs> been a little bit extreme a few times there and here, and 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 you know, so you have to get the message through somehow, and and um, so you know, you know, you mentioned Mitchell Frank, you actually, you know, um, you know, he was a he was like a machine, you know, he was just programmed to overlast you and then beat you mentally and physically, but. The funny thing about it is, I give you a very quick story, you know, he was such a machine that um, he was playing a tournament in Belgium, and one of my friend, uh, Frank Salazar, was coaching him there, and he was there, and and then during the match, I get a text from Frank that, you don't believe what just happened, I said, what? I'm watching a Mitchell just hit a tweener, <laughs> and that was like, uh, like uh, the biggest miracle in the history of the game, that... Out of his disciplined game, he came and hit a tweener, and it was so unique that actually Frank texted me from Belgium to hear that uh, that that happened. So, so you know, sometimes we have to let it go and and and, and just uh, smile about it. No, I tell Luca every time he doesn't slice a backhand, he should text me. <laughs> exactly. No, here we go. Here we go. Yeah, that's um, right. No, we could go on and on, but seriously, uh, Coach, thank you so much for taking the time one last time because I know, uh, again, we are such big fans of your program at the JTCC and what you guys are doing. Can you let our listeners know how they can get involved and support your guys' efforts? 
Absolutely. The best thing would be that whenever you have a time and you are in Washington, D.C., come and see us in College Park. And I would like to think that you would feel that we have a hopefully a special spirit in our place. Uh, it's a spirit of giving back and, and it's an environment that learning takes place. And if you don't have a chance to come and visit us, then uh, please visit our website, jtcc.org. And, and, and uh, you know, anywhere you can support us, just, uh, you know, when you see our players in the tournament, say hi and, 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 and you know, talk to them or anywhere you can support it, you know, you know, we all benefit out of it. Yeah, well, absolutely. Again, jtcc.org for all of you who want to learn more. Uh, Coach Vesa Punka, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us on the Cracked Interviews podcast. And seriously, anytime you want to come back, you're more than welcome. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's always great to talk to tennis with the people who, who love it. So, yeah, uh, you know. Absolutely. Well, I, I promise you I do. You would be you would be giving me push-ups. You would say, Alex, or you'd just be like, get off the court. Like, you, that's enough for you today. Okay, okay. No, hey, maybe we, we, we can, we can, you know, by the way, maybe uh, maybe you have to come and, and visit us one of these days. Look, if you're asking me if I looked, because what, what's on deck? I saw there was, it's not the fair. What's it called? I'm missing it. There's some new uh, festival, the Free Tennis Festival, March 15th, right? Yeah, we have a, we have a, you know, we have a free tennis festival for the community, so the whole community community can come together and 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 you know we have these kind of events, so uh, you know, you know, but you don't need any special reasons. Just come and, and hang around <laughs> with us, and and you can see how uh, you know we are working every day. Oh, I look forward to it. Well, Coach, again, thank you so much, and good luck to you and all of your JTC crew, uh, CC crew in the future. Okay, thanks a lot, hey.